Amen. I, I like that. He done said it, didn't he? Now it's out there in public. I appreciate it. Appreciate the heart and the spirit of this meeting. I love Brother Gravely. I love the way he let God use him to lead the meeting last night. One manufactured, wasn't manipulated. It was all good. It was all God. And uh, you, you young people, you remember what you saw here. You may see something like it again, but not often. And they'll be talking about that night, Thursday night, at this camp meeting for years and years to come. And you got to be part of it. You got to see God work in a place where God was not restricted. One year, our theme at our church when I pastored was revival. Will thou not revive us again? My voice used to be better than it is. In fact, uh, you pray for me. I made an appointment with the University of Michigan today, and I'll go there May uh, 12th, I think it is, or 11th. To, they're going to have three or four doctors check me out at once and to see if they can get some help here. I've been afraid they'd tell me I wouldn't have to be able to preach for a couple of months. So uh, that's why I haven't done it before now. But I figured what I'll do, I'll keep the meetings, and I can play tapes of my old sermons, and I'll just mouth the words. So... <laughs> That way, I don't have to stay home all that time. But uh, I used to, I used to have a little better voice, and, and I would sing sometimes. I got some old singing tapes. But what you saw last night was God doing something that He always wants to do: to draw people to Himself, to turn our hearts towards Him. And I appreciate it so much. I got to tell you one little story. I was on an airplane years ago. And there's only two seats in the row I was in. I was in the aisle. There was a man in the window, had a ball cap on, had little earbuds in, had his eyes closed, uh, didn't, didn't stir the whole trip. And I, I wanted to witness to him. I try to give people gospel tracts. That, that's a good thing to do, see, give them gospel tracts. And uh, I don't like whether them say, well, write your own. That's what I did. They would give them the gospel. And uh, I, whatever you give them is probably better than doing nothing. So, so at the very end of the, the trip, the guy started to stir. And I said, here, let me give you something that tells you God loves you, some good news. And, uh, and uh, he looked at that and he said, uh, First Baptist Church of Bridgeport. He said, I got a nephew there. I said, what's your nephew's name? He said, Paul Green. I said, yeah, I know Brother Green. He said, our B. Willette, is he still there? I said, yeah, he's still there. And he said, are you Willette? And I said, I'm Willette. And that was, that was the man you took an offering for a moment ago. So last year, I come to the camp meeting, and I got in time to exercise. And I went and exercised, and I came out, and there he was at the desk, and he still didn't recognize me. I'm a very unnotable person, but I do use their Bible. This is the best Bible, the Slimline Bible. Doesn't have no maps, no concordance, no notes, just the Word of God. And I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And young people, uh, you, you get into what's going on here. And Brother Gravely, God. God bless you for your sincerity, your honesty. Thank you, Bible Baptist Church, for shouldering so much of the burden of this meeting. Now, if it's all right, I'd like to read three versions of my text this morning. The, uh, the first version is in Matthew chapter 8. The second version is in Luke or Mark chapter 4. And the third version is in uh, 
Luke chapter 8, they're all in your King James Bible. They are complementary accounts, not contradictory. And uh, I, I won't be long. They didn't tell me when to stop, but the older I get, the more my motto is, if you can't be good, be short. My, uh, I wish some of my friends knew that. Because I've heard plenty of sermons and preached plenty of sermons that were neither. Jesus said to the disciples, well, he was entered into a ship, verse 23 of Luke 8. His disciples followed him. Hey, there's a good idea. Disciples ought to follow Jesus. And behold, there rose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered to the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said to them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Mark chapter 4, if you would please. Mark the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 35. The same day when the even was over, or even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they'd sent away the multitudes, they took him even as he was in the ship. There were also with him other little ships, and there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, that it was now full. And he's in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they wake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And I like the next verse. He just said, Why are you so fearful? The Bible says, And they feared. Exceedingly. Said one to another, What matter of man is this that even the wind... And the sea obey him. Luke chapter 8. Thank you for turning there. I do apologize for reading so much Bible. Maybe what God says is more important than what I got to say. Just maybe. Luke 8, 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he was entered into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came unto him. They came to him and awake him and saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was a calm. And he said unto them, where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful privilege of being in this great meeting. What a, what a tremendous blessing just to be here last night. And God, I ask that you'd help me to play the part you want me to play in this meeting this morning, that you'd guide me by your spirit, that I'd say only and all those things that you want said and help us to be good ground and receive gladly the seed of your word and respond obediently in Jesus' name, amen. 
The Lord Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's then performed three miracles. And after that, he says to the disciples, we got to cross the Sea of Galilee. When he got there, there was a man that could help, a maniac, a man that was filled with demons. And after he was delivered by the Lord Jesus, he'd want to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, you stay home, tell your friends and everybody the great things God has done for you. And the next time, for that time, they asked Jesus to leave. And the next time they meet, met him and greeted and we're happy as there and I kind of think it was the testimony of the maniac that made the difference in that time but but in any case he's on a mission he's not just taking a trip they got to go somewhere and he says let's get in the boat we're going to cross the Sea of Galilee Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide it's about 13 miles long it is surrounded by hills over the years the centuries wind has etched gullies into those hills and when the wind whips down a storm comes up rapidly instantly not uncommon the disciples get in the boat with Jesus and there comes up a really bad storm. Why? I thought, Brother Sutherland, if I was in the will of God, I would never have any trouble. I saw that on the hookie pookie television station. They said if I was if I was right with God, my, my wife would always be sweet, my kids would always be obedient, my bank account would always be full, my tires would never go flat, and my dog wouldn't have fleas. Especially if I gave them money. But now the disciples following Jesus get into a storm. Why? I want you to think for a moment about the reason for the storm. I'm going to give you two reasons. You don't have to believe the first one. John Phillips, my favorite Bible commentator. John Phillips, brilliant man, died a member of Bobby Robertson's church. That brilliant man put himself under the authority of a man who never finished the eighth grade. It was a man of God. Yes, sir. Knew the word of God. Yes. John Phillips pointed out that in the Gospel of Mark, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus rebuked the wind, but he spoke to the waves. He said that word rebuke is almost always used of dealing with an unclean spirit. And he believed that the storm was inspired by Satan. Now, I can't prove that, but it makes sense. The devil is the prince of the power of the air, not of the earth, of the air. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The devil doesn't have claim to one square inch of God's good earth, but he's the prince of the power of the air. And we know he likes to stir things up. We know he's the accuser of the brethren. We know what he did with Job. But whether you believe that or not, you have to believe the second reason for the storm. The storm was not only, I think, inspired by Satan, but it was instructive for the saints. You see, the disciples knew already the Lord Jesus could make blind people see and deaf people hear and lame people walk and he could cleanse lepers, but they did not know that he could control the very elements of the earth. And that was a new deal to them. That was a big deal to them. And, and after the storm uh, it was calmed by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You know, we like to say this, well, the Lord was testing me to see whether I'd be he was checking me out to see how I'd respond. Um, wrong. Wrong. God has always known everything. Our Calvinist friends have a little debate amongst themselves. Some are infralapsarians and some are sublapsarians and some are supralapsarians. And it's a dumb debate about the order in which God gave his decrees. And it's dumb because there is no order with God. 
God never learned anything. God never said, well, I'm guessing now maybe I ought to do this. No, no, no. Uh, somebody said that it never occurred to you. Nothing ever occurred to God. And when the storm was over, the disciple God, the Lord Jesus, did not know one more thing about the disciples that he'd known when it started. But the disciples knew a whole lot more about God. And I remind you, every storm, every trial, every tribulation, every time of difficulty is designed by God to teach us about him, to draw us closer to him. Storm, reason for it was inspired by Satan, was instructive for the saints. But notice the response to the storm. The disciples are scared. They're scared. They're really scared, all of them. They're in jeopardy. They think they're going to die. And the Lord Jesus is sleeping. Ever seem to you like the Lord Jesus is asleep when you're in a storm? Now, here's what's interesting, Brother Gravely. When the Lord Jesus went to sleep, didn't any of the disciples in, the, in any of the accounts in the three gospels we read, didn't any of them say, Lord, Lord, Lord we're going to need you. We've got to cross the Sea of Galilee. It's eight miles across. We need your help. They were fine without him. The Jews were not typically seagoing people, but four of these disciples had made their living on this same body of water in a ship that was probably very similar, if not identical, to the one that they're in now. And you got Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they've crossed this body of water many times, and they know what they're doing. And they don't know they need Jesus until the wind starts blowing. Can I tell you something? When you're about to lose your house, when your family is falling apart, when you don't have any money in the bank, when the doctor says, I'm afraid there's nothing we can do, you need Jesus. But when you've got money in the bank and your wife behaves perfectly and your children are models of obedience and your health is tip-top, you still need Jesus. I, I need thee every hour. Uh, the Bible says without him I can do nothing. We got the idea well this is a really big problem this only God can help this one hey only God can take you through the sunshine and only God can take you through the storm you always need Jesus but he's sleeping and it looks to me like he did it on purpose I would suggest you everything our Lord did and does he did and does on purpose I've had people sleep when I preach. I never thought about it. Maybe that's why I walk around. I don't know. And I can, you know, see who's nodding off. I never say anything about it. I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. I worked my way through college. I remember one year, I worked every other night as a night watchman. One night from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. The next night off. Next night, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Then I worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday, four hours at a mattress factory. And Tuesday, Thursday, eight hours at a mattress factory. And sometimes worked Saturday mornings, and I was tired. Yep. One reason I like churches having hymn books is because I perfected the art of sleeping with a hymn book under my elbow and my chin on my fist in an upright position. Can't do that without their screens. You got to have a hymn book. So I never fuss at people when they sleep while I preach. 
I did hear about one old guy that the preacher had an old guy in his church and the guy just deliberately nodded off every Sunday and the preacher was tired of it and he said to his wife, you watch, I'm going to get him next week. Preacher waited, the man was sleeping soundly and he said, everybody who wants to go to heaven when you die, would you please raise your hand? And everybody said, that guy raised their hand. And then he said, everybody wants to go to hell when you die. Would you please stand up? And the old guy woke up and he jumped to his feet. He said, preacher, I don't know what it is we're voting on, but it looks like you and me are the only ones for it. But I have never had anybody bring a pillow in, lay it on the pew, put their head on the pillow and go to sleep. And Jesus is asleep on a pillow. Response to the storm. Disciples are scared. Lord Jesus is sleeping. But the ship. Interesting. The Bible says the ship was now full. Anybody on a boat? I'm not preaching against it. It's all right. <laughs> I've known the two happiest days of a boat owner. The day I bought my boat and the day I sold my boat. <laughs> Any boat gets a little water in it. You got a 16-foot aluminum fishing boat. Maybe you got a 25-horse motor on the back. You got a milk jug. It used to be a coffee can. Now you use a plastic milk jug and you scoop out the water. You got a bigger boat. It's designed so the water will run between the floor of the boat and the hull. And it will go to the back. And there's a little thing called a bilge pump, like a miniature sump pump that takes the water out. But there's hardly a boat in the world that is designed to operate full of water. You get the boat full of water. You get the boat covered with water. And it's going to sink. Any ordinary boat, and especially the kind of boats they had then full of water would have sunk in the middle of the storm but not this storm not this ship because Jesus is in the boat hey you better be sure you're in the boat with Jesus the ship is safe we used to sing master the tempest is raging the billows are drawing nigh and we go on to sing no tempest can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and sky the res response to the storm. But then notice not only the reason, inspired by Satan, instructed to the saints, the response, disciples scared, Lord Jesus sleeping, ship safe. Notice there's a rebuke. And the Lord Jesus, first of all, rebukes the storm. And you know what happens? In one instant, it stops. I mean, as quick as it started, it stopped. One moment, they're bouncing up and down like a cork. One moment, they're hanging on white-knuckled, scared for their life. And the next moment, everything's calm and peaceful as it can be. I would remind you that our God is able to take the deepest trials and the greatest storms and the most awful problems in our life and take care of them in an instant. But there is a calming rebuke, and it's followed by a convicting rebuke. Now the Lord Jesus doesn't rebuke the elements. He rebukes the disciples. Yes. And he rebukes them about two things. Number one, he rebukes them about fear. Why are you so afraid? Hey, what scares you? What worries you? What nags at you? What keeps you awake at night? That ordinary deacon? 
running out of money, losing your job, your spouse leaving you. Some terrible disease that maybe has affected other family members and people you know. What scares you? And the Lord Jesus has a question for you about whatever it is that scares you. Why? Why? God has not given us the spirit of fear. That didn't come from God. Why? Well, brother, what? They think it might have a really serious illness. Well, yeah, then, well, well they're going to run some tests. Well, well, then, well, well, then, then, then the doctor's going to tell me what it is. Well, then, well, well, then it might be really bad. Well, then what? Well, then I might die. Well, well then what? Amen. Let me help you. You're going to die. Unless you're alive when Jesus comes back, you're going to die. I'd be 70 if I lived till September. <laughs> I'm going to die. I, I think I'll probably live a long time. My dad lived a long time, and that's, that's probably the, the history of our family. But, uh, but if God takes me tomorrow, it's all right with me. Yeah, you're going to die. John Rice had a guy come up, John Rice Evangelist, years ago, and a man pointed a gun at his stomach and said, I'm going to blow your brains out. <laughs> Not a biology major, all right. John Rice never flinched. He looked at that man with a gun in his stomach. He said, you can't scare me with heaven. Another great evangelist in the past named Monroe Parker. Monroe Parker went to a little church in Kentucky, one of those hollers where the police didn't go. And when he got off the train, the old pastor said, hurry, hurry, get in the car. There's going to be trouble. He got in the car and said, the last evangelist was here. They shot and killed him while he was in the pulpit. So the same bullet that killed him went through his body, hit his wife at the piano and killed her. They had a prayer meeting Saturday night and they were praying, oh God, don't let Dr. Parker die. Oh God, don't let Dr. Parker die. You can look this sermon up, I imagine, on the internet, Monroe Parker, the 23rd Psalm. And, and Monroe Parker said, you could hear my fervent amens intermingled with his prayers. Tough meeting. Bunch of guys with six guns, stood in the back with their arms folded, daring the preacher to say anything they didn't like. One night, one of those guys turned off the lights in the middle of the service, beat up the old pastor, broke his glasses, stole his fountain pen. I mean, Roe Parker had all he could take. Monroe Parker was a very strong man. He played football, Thomasville, Alabama. And uh, he used to do a headstand and then do push-ups. Try that when you get back to the room. We'll know by the neck braces who attempted it. And Roe Parker picked up the pulpit and he put it aside. He said, you bunch of cowards. You guys think you're so tough. You go around with your six guns pointed at your heels. You better be careful. They might go off accidentally and blow your brains out. I guess biology wasn't widely taught in those days. And then he said, beat up an old man in the dark break his glasses, steal his fountain pen. He said, everybody's saying, oh God, don't let Dr. Parker die. Oh God, don't let Dr. Parker die. He said, you can't kill me. I'm going to live as long as God lives. Hey, so am I. If you're saved, so are you. Why? Why are you so afraid? 
The psalmist said, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. But he said again, I will trust and never be afraid. God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can I tell you that a lot of what's happening in our society today is because of fear. COVID fear. Now, I respect whatever you do. I'm, if you want me to put a mask on, I'll put a mask on. Some people want me to wear it just so they don't have to look at me. I go through the TSA, and they say, would you remove your mask? I say, yes, but you'll be sorry. <laughs> I'm not paying for counseling. It was your request. <laughs> I told my wife when this thing started, honey, if I get sick, I get sick, and if I die, I die. But in the meantime, I'm going to live. This church is still haven't started Sunday night services yet. Afraid to run a bus, to knock on a door, to have a Sunday school class. There's people, uh, some of you live streamers, it's about you got live worship instead of live stream. My pastor says, I understand some of you folks old, you have underlying conditions. And, and he said, uh, I respect that. I just ask that you be consistent. If you don't go to church, don't go to Walmart either. I've been to Walmart and I've been to many of your churches. Your church is cleaner and your crowd is much classier than at Walmart. Fear. Don't pass out tracts because of fear. Don't knock on doors because of fear. Preachers don't say what they ought to say from the pulpit because of fear. Why are you so afraid? And then he rebukes them about faith. And I like this question that the Lord asked. He said, where is your faith? That's interesting. See, everybody has faith. Anybody drive here today and come through an intersection where there was a green light? Did that happen to anybody? I know what you did. You slowed way down. You looked carefully both ways. And you gently eased through the intersection, didn't you? No, you didn't. In fact, some of you saw the light start to turn yellow. You mashed down on the accelerator. Stuck through before it got red. Now, you have no idea who was in the cars coming the other way. There could have been teenagers in those cars. And you had faith that perfect strangers would obey the red light. And you went through. Everybody's got faith. Uh, Brother Gravely, who made these chairs? Well, what are they rated for weight-wise? Well... Some of us need to know that. <laughs> I mean, what if you came in and sat down and that chair collapsed? Be now you're in a place people love you, they'd help you. Right after they took your picture and put it on Instagram, they would help you. But you had faith that the chair is here to hold you up. And some of you didn't sit down, you plopped. Where's your faith? Is it in the money you have in the bank? Is it in your ability to earn a living with your head or your hands? Is it in your spouse taking care of you? Is it in the fact that you have some government pension or some program somewhere? The Bible says, have faith in God. So I have a question. What are you doing in your life right now that requires faith? When I pastored, I, I was busy. I traveled every week and I 
put out a little paper called the preacher's page and I wrote articles for a couple other papers whenever they were published and I was busy every once in a while I get it figured out I do this on this day and this on that day and every time I think okay I got it. I'm in a good place I can make this work now the Lord come along and say hey now I want you to do this too Maybe we take a step outside my comfort zone and I'd say Lord I just got that figured out. It was like the Lord would say, yeah, you had it figured out. I don't want you living by your figuring. I want you living by faith. See, the Bible says without faith, it is difficult to please God. No, it doesn't. Without faith, it is. So if I'm not living by faith, I'm not pleasing God. Now, we misapprehend faith, misunderstand it. There's a guy who says, it'll be fine, God will take care of it, everything's all right. There are some people that, Brother Morgan, seem to have that kind of faith. But I remember a guy in the Bible, and he said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine. Huh? It's like saying, Lord, I'm skinny, help thou my fatness. I'm bald, help thou my hairiness. Huh? Three Hebrew children. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire and furnace, house of bread, and he will deliver us, O king. Amen. Except the next three words they said were, but if not. Is God going to deliver you? Yes. You sure about it? Abso sort of. <laughs> Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is doing what God told you to do in spite of your doubt. God speaks to your heart and tells you to put some money in the offering and it means you don't have any money to stop for a meal on the way home and may not have gasoline and your hand may be shaking and your brow may be covered with perspiration but if you gave it, you demonstrated faith. You are knocking on doors and you may be so scared you don't have to knock. You just hold your hand up. It's knocking already. <laughs> Sweat coming down to your belt. But if you went, you demonstrated faith. Uh, I stopped pastoring after I pastored the church 44 years and just couldn't travel. My wife said, honey, you have a budget figured out. I said, no. I believe in budgets. I've helped a lot of people get out of debt. About a third of one of my books deals with money. I believe in it. So she knew it was peculiar. She said, why don't you have a budget? I said, honey, if I had a budget, every place I went to preach, I'd wonder if they're going to meet my budget. And I'm not supposed to go wondering if they're going to meet my budget. I'm supposed to go try to be a help. So here's my financial plan. If anybody gives me money, I put it in the bank. And then when the bills come due, I pay the bills. So how's that working out? Well, it's like the optimist said, after falling 18 of 20 stories, so far, so good. <clears throat> so what are you doing that requires faith? Let me give you a few reminders. I'll be done. A few applications from the story. The first one is that storms are normal. Don't get mad at God. Don't be upset. Don't think you've done something wrong. Don't think that some way you're, you're out of the will of God if you're having storms. It's normal. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Number two, the devil can rock your boat, but he can never sink your ship. Yeah, 
He can cause the boat to bounce. He can cause the lightning to flash and the thunder to crash. But he can't capsize your boat because if you're in a boat with Jesus, you will survive storms that would sink anybody else. Now I'd remind you this fear is normal, but it's never necessary. Live in fear if you want to, but you don't have to. I will trust and never be afraid. And then I remind you this. It is sinful not to exercise faith. I've never been to a movie in my life. When I was a little boy, Christians didn't go to movies. If, if I, if I, there's a guy at public school who went to a movie, I just figured he wasn't saved. Now, I understand Christians go to movies some of these days, and to be fair, Hollywood is much cleaner than it was when I was a little boy. But I read about this movie one time called Superman. I knew about Superman, who runs faster than a speeding bullet and more powerful than a locomotive and able to leap tall buildings at a single bound, otherwise known as a church secretary. And in this movie, it said that, what I read about the movie said that Superman went down and rescued a guy from a burning building. And he's up and they're flying really high and really fast. And the guy looks down and the buildings look like they're made of Legos and the people look like ants. And he gets scared. And it said Superman got mad at him, got upset with him. So, hey, I didn't go all the way down there and pull you out of a burning building just to drop you on the way home. I wonder if the Lord doesn't look at his fearful, faithless people. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? I didn't go down there in the person of my son. I didn't pull you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a rock and establish your goings. I didn't indwell you by my spirit. I didn't cleanse you in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I did not write your name in the Lamb's book of life and indelible ink just to drop you on the way home. 